I saw a good meme about Ticketmaster and Jamal Williams just torturing Swift fans, <laughs> which was which was pretty pretty quality. <laughs> um, but like he had eight touches this week against the Giants. It looks like eight touches, and then seven against the Bears. And like, why? Like, what are you saving him for? Not the playoffs. Hey, they're still in it, just like you are. No. <laughs> <laughs> All right, hello and welcome to the 29th episode of the SSFL Podcast. I am not Brendan Lensink. I am your host joining you from beyond the SSFL grave, Eric Searle. Joining me from the magic of the internet from across the Georgia Strait, or as it's known in the SSFL, the River Sticks, is the uh, vibrant, very much still alive, Anthony Speranza, how are you doing? Uh, doing great. What is the River Sticks in this scenario? Well, on one side of the River Sticks, all of the teams are dead. And on the other side of the River Sticks, all of the teams are alive. Gotcha. I actually thought it was just the Fraser River you were referring to. No, it's the Georgia Strait. Right. In this gotcha. context. Not so much a river, but go with me on the metaphor here. Well, River Sticks probably cleaner than the Fraser River. That's true. That's probably true. Also joining me, a man who can do no worse than a week 14 buy is the positively vivacious Kevin Tate. How are Hello. You? I'm good. I'm feeling the energy coming from Eric, and I really uh, I love it off the top. So I'm even <laughs> happier to be here. And also a very special guest for all the good boys and girls out there. <laughs> joining, us from, uh, <laughs> joining us from the intensive care unit at SSFL General. Not dead yet, but his family's having some tough conversations. It's Brandon Murray. Hello, folks. Thanks for having me. I, I thought you were going to say I'm on a ferry sinking in the middle of the river sticks. But <laughs> I was also going to ask if you guys have discussed whether there is there might be a, a SSFL podcast curse. I feel like after I made my first appearance, I just got beat down and boat raced weekly, facing 140, 135, 120, just... My pedestrian team got run over repeatedly at the intersection of the River Sticks, but thankfully the schedule God served up Kyle this week, and now I feel like I've, I'm not back on track, but it felt good to get a win. Good to hear. Uh, I don't know about this uh, curse situation. Is it particularly different than before you were on the podcast? I feel like you've been running against some tough opponents all year. That, that could be true. Maybe I'm just looking for a convenient scapegoat. It's true, Brandon. You are the most points against... Well, one point ahead of James, actually, for most points against. So you guys have both have been having a tough go. Yeah, sometimes it's just not your year. What can I say? I think Eric would vouch for that as well. Sometimes you have a few in a, few in a row. <laughs> process over results, right? Anyway, so uh, we came off a pretty fun week in the SSFL. I feel like the biggest storyline coming into or coming out of week 11 has got to be Justin's monster afternoon comeback win against Sherry R to get to six and five thoughts. I thought he was dead in the water, to be honest. Um, but uh, are we going to talk about the biggest start sit decision in this entire matchup or the biggest difference? The Vikings defense minus four points. His own guys, his own guys letting him down. Yeah. In a big own... spot. I mean, it was a brave 
start. I mean, I know they were at home, but it's still against Dallas, and it's not like the Vikings defense is particularly good. Um, but yeah, in a, in a close matchup like that, oof, it's a tough one. Also, uh, something funny about Damien Pierce, nicknamed Jay's favorite, um, putting up a dud against Jay. So maybe some collusion going on there. Good thought. They probably like him even more now than they did before. <laughs> <laughs> Interesting with the Vikings defense thing. I did a little research, and uh, there were 16 defenses available on the waiver wire and plus the Vikings defense for Harsh to start. He could have started eight out of the 16 – sorry, nine out of the 16, and they would have won in the week. So seven out of the 16 were lost. He had basically a 50-50 shot of choosing – a good defense had he just thrown a dart uh, and he managed to choose the worst defense on the week tough like i mean it's one of those things you're not really looking at every defense you're choosing the one on your roster but you know minus four is gonna hurt yeah that stings especially when like you guys said it's his favorite team but yeah fandom blinders loss <laughs> yeah and if, if that's not bad enough, now it's reigniting all the, oh, are the Vikings for real? Are the Vikings the same team? Are they going to make the playoffs storyline? So those have been fun to listen to this week. What do you think? Are they for real? Like, what is your what is your expectation of the Vikings this season? I don't know. Uh, someone, uh, who was it that said this? They have a theory that Kirk Cousins is afraid of the dark because he never plays well in primetime. <laughs> Um, but that was a that was a Sunday morning window game, and or was it afternoon? Doesn't matter. But afternoon, yeah, they just they just they had no answer for for anything the Cowboys wanted to do. The Cowboys have a good defense, and um, yeah, three points even even against the Cowboys that's uh, that's a tough pill to swallow. Uh, I'll sort of I don't know I don't take too too much out of it. It feels like every other good team that loses gets like an excused game away and no one, everyone seems very quick to like do this to the Vikings. So I don't know. I'd like to see what, how they answer for it for the next couple of weeks. I agree. They're only two and a half point favorites on Thursday against at home against the Patriots. Um, it feels like an easy, easy hammer for me. Cause I think I agree with Kevin. I think whatever you had a bad game, it's one of those things where it kind of just spirals out of control, whatever, you know, it's a, it's just still one loss. I don't get too wrapped up in this point differential nonsense that people keep bringing up because you, you lost one game by 37 points or whatever. So like, obviously your point differential is going to be skewed it means before that they were like a plus 30 point differential. So whatever. I don't know. Yeah. I did catch uh Shar's uh, post-game press conference and asked if the defense let the offense down. He said no, which was quite quite the answer. <laughs> Just got to do better, hey? Got to get our job done. I think the big storyline here is uh, Justin um, sticking up for the pod after we toothpicked Sherry R. Yeah, and then uh, Sherry R responded with a win, and then Justin said no, on my house. You know, he is a honorary pod member one of the OG founders and, you know, he had to stand up for what he believes in. So thank you, Justin. It's especially admirable considering he wasn't actually around for the decision. So it really shows how much he believes in what the podcast stands for. Absolutely. Absolutely. And just the influence we have on people, I think is, is a bigger takeaway. You had to ruin it. <laughs> <laughs> 
All right. Well, we had talked about one stinker tanker. I think there was a few other pretty good stinker tankers this week that we should probably talk about. Um, one being if I started Derek Carr as he was already in my lineup instead of picking up Tyler Heineke, I would have beat Anthony this week. <laughs> uh, uh, give yeah. you a whole process over results speech about why I did that, but no one needs to hear that right now. Uh, and then Harsh had some interesting ones. I don't know if I disagree with his decisions, but having Ezekiel Elliott and Wandale Robinson on his bench both getting 15 points uh, while he's got uh, Dante Foreman and DJ Moore and Miles Sanders in his lineup getting five or less each has to hurt. Also, um, Elliott and Robinson are both players he traded for from me. And then he put them on his bench, which I don't know. I feel like if you're going to trade for someone, feels like you think you can start them. I think the DJ Moore experiment is like long gone from like whenever he had that like big explosion. Like anyway, we should yeah. call it what it is. It's desperation and he doesn't know what he's doing yeah. and he's just grasping at straws. He's overthinking it. We've all been there. It's not a fun spot to be. Thankfully, Eric, that's in the past for you for this year, but there are still some of us that need to sit through it, but it's, it's perversely fun to watch somebody spiral. I will say. He, he tweeted earlier this year that he thinks he's good at drafting teams, but not good at setting lineups. Do you think it's possible that Harsh becomes the first team in our league to fire himself as coach and pick up a new coach? <laughs> clearly there's a disconnect between GM and coach in exactly what Tony was saying about trading for guys and then not playing them. Yeah, it could be an, an incident in Mexico City that spells the end for Harsh. Oh my god. <laughs> I think there was an incident at the SSFL draft that may have done it, but <laughs> <laughs> I guess that's relatively new news. You guys know what I mean when I reference that incident in Mexico City? Mm-hmm, I do. Did Cliff Kingsbury get fired or something? Uh, not not Kingsbury, but uh, is it their running game coordinator? Their offensive line slash running game coach, whatever the fuck. Oh that man, is. that is the worst. Like just kick out the lowest paid guy to have a scapegoat move. Yeah, what happened? They were. They just no said incident in Mexico City. He didn't even that, coach was the, that game. the game. Oh, it was before the game. It okay. was before the game. Like while they were, they only were there for like one or two nights. Like they arrived like Saturday, hmm. and at some point between Saturday and like the the Sunday, the Monday night game. All right, I'm making a note of that. I gotta go look that up. A quote unquote incident occurred, and he didn't even coach the game. Oh yeah, he was sent home early. Yeah, but I'm on the next flight back to Arizona, which is like. Oof means it was i don't know you your mind you can only imagine this is like a big angry white man who coaches the offensive line in mexico city i mean world is your oyster anything could have happened was urban meyer there (laughs) could have been we've seen some truly questionable behavior out of nfl coaches the last few years haven't we like the the Urban Meyer thing has been well documented. That guy that was banging rails in his yeah, I was just gonna say Dolphins line coach or whatever. Yeah, <laughs> not a good look for offensive line coaches, eh? But damn, it's funny. Ruthless aggression. Yeah, well, harsh is spiraling. Uh, Dion gets like a gift, and I think maybe Eric you might get into it a little bit later. But he keeps, even though his name is forked, I believe he's still technically alive. Is that right? That's true. Um, we should just get into that. Uh, going in two weeks left in the regular season for the hotly anticipated tiebreaker week. We still have 12 teams technically mathematically alive for playoffs. 
seven teams mathematically alive for a first round bye. It's going to get interesting. So if we want to look at it, we can start at the bottom. There are three teams at four and six right now. Four and seven. That Four and seven, sorry. That is Harsh, James, and Brandon. All three of those teams could squeak into a week 14 tiebreaker for the last playoff spot if they were to win out, have Dion and Tyler get one, go one and one, and have Justin and Sherry are both go 0 and 2. Any of those teams could squeak into the tiebreaker. That would set up an at least three way tiebreaker up to six team tiebreaker for the last playoff spot. And I, I, you said that in the chat and I almost didn't believe you, but none of them play each other either. So, like, it can happen. Yep. The only teams in that that I mentioned that play each other is James and Harsh play each other this week. So they both have a must-win game playing each other, which is interesting for us because that guarantees that one of them will win and still probably be alive going into next week. So right. that's a lot of fun, I think. Um, I guess they would still have to have Sherry R and Justin lose this week to still be alive, but, you know, things to monitor on Sunday. Five and six, currently eighth and ninth. Uh, Dion and Tyler both sitting there. Um, these teams are both one back of Justin and Shar for that sixth spot. So they could go one and one. And if Jay and Shar both went 0 and 2, that they would sneak into the tiebreaker. But realistically, they need to go 2 and 0 and have Shar and Jay both go one and one in order to have a real shot at that tiebreaker week scenario. Um, and then, of course, Shar and Jay at six. Sixth and seventh in the standings at six and five. Technically, these guys both actually have a shot at a first round bye if they were to go two and oh and have everybody else go oh and two above them or one and one. But more than likely, these two coming off their matchup last week are basically playing out against each other for a chance at that sixth spot. Got you so far. Yeah. Who do you guys, how do you feel about it? Who are you, uh, is there a five and six team you think is going to sneak in? Look at some of these matchups. Dion, in order to get in, probably has to win out. He plays Mike and Brendan, which is pretty tough. It's a tough two game run for Dion. Um, it just it seems very Dion to to sneak in and make this work. Yeah, he lost Cup though, and I think that drastically just sort of kills his team. So I would be anti Dion in this scenario. It stings, but like with Fields playing better, Mooney's been pretty serviceable. Ayuk's been good. AJ Brown's been good. Like he's got, it's a solid little team he's got himself there. He's kind of left himself no margin for error, but yeah, I, I wouldn't want to, I wouldn't want to play Dion in the first round of the playoffs if he snuck in. Yeah. And I definitely think of the five and six teams, he's got the best chance. We're, we talked about it offline about like what happened to Tyler's team because at the beginning of the year it looked like a very strong team and it's just it's kind of just run out of steam I feel like um I yeah. just don't have any confidence in it whatsoever yeah the DeAndre Swift thing is weird um so weird now I don't hate it because in a different league I have Jamal Williams and I saw a good meme about Ticketmaster and Jamal Williams just torturing Swift fans <laughs> Which was which was pretty pretty quality. Um, but like he had eight touches this week against the Giants. It looks like eight touches, and then seven against the Bears. And like, why? Like, what are you saving him for? Not the playoffs. Hey, they're still in it. 
just like you are. No, thanks. <laughs> that was pretty good. That's Raising a point. You know, but like he's starting, I think part of the problem is, yeah, the Swift thing. He's starting two Seahawks and two Lions, which those players are good. I just feel like starting, but their offenses are not like that good that you can for like half of your starting lineup is in two teams. It kind of feels like you're limiting your upside there. And Debo, other than last week, was kind of has kind of been a bit of a bust to be to be honest. Um, yeah, he hasn't been a number one. Yeah. Um, yeah, Amon Ra has been pretty good since he came back. It's just, um, it just doesn't feel like he has, like, we talked about this. We've talked about this several times. Um, those, like, middling, like, 12-point players, um, you know, it's nice to have one or two. But if you have, if your team is one giant number two, you just can't get it done. It feels like this year, like, you need those giant weeks. Yeah, it doesn't, it like. I don't really see a guy that's like, oh, that guy could have a 30-point week. Exactly, exactly. I'm, I do. I think Ken Walker... Debo Samuel and DK Metcalf are all capable of 30-point weeks. But you're right that he's in tough. He can't have DK and Ken Walker have a 30-point week in the same week. Because mm-hmm. yeah. the Seahawks aren't going to score six touchdowns. I mean, Yeah, he, that's true. I don't I don't really disagree. The thing with Debo is just he's not getting the touches that he did last year with that offense. Like they spread it around so much. I mean, like in theory, you're right about Metcalf, but his best game this week was 18 points or this year Mm. is 18 points so he hasn't been like that explosive and i think that's just gino's been like quite an efficient passer and playing well but that offense is just not going to um like just throw bombs like they did when russell was actually good walker has tyler lockett a wide receiver touchdown vulture (laughs) oh come on because the way i see it is like DK uh, gets the ball thrown to him a lot more, gets a lot more play in the middle of the field. And then it always just seems like he and Lockett end up with the same number of fantasy points at the end of the year because Lockett gets a bunch of like extra touchdowns. He gets way more touchdowns, fewer yards. Maybe I'm wrong. I haven't actually looked at the stats. It's just how it felt last year having him on the team. Is that Tyler Lockett is the like touchdown vulture. He, get, he gets excited when his number is called, scores a touchdown. Otherwise, takes a playoff. DK's grinding. Doesn't get the credit. Lockett's been like that his entire career. It's always been like high efficiency touchdown numbers. I think that's just just what he does. Maybe you're right. Maybe you're onto something. He gets like a little Madden boost and like inside the 20 or something where his route running and catching traffic improves. Final thought I'll put on this is I actually do think Tyler is more likely to make the playoffs than Dion because Tyler plays Kenny in week 13. And so I think Brendan this week though. He does, but I when I was saying like they only technically need to go one on one. Right. Whereas and I I could like if you have to pick all these games, you probably pick Dion to lose to Mike, Dion to lose to Brendan, go 0 and 2. You pick Tyler to lose to Brendan and then Tyler to beat Kenny, go one and one. So if I look at that, I think the most likely of the two of them is probably Tyler. Yeah, make taking that ferry across the river sticks to face Kenny. And he's been down there for a while. (laughs) He's like the old man. He's like been down there. He's already set up camps, got a little little fire pit. 
nice little tent. Comfy down here, no responsibilities. <laughs> He's got a tent on the sidewalk. Um, Eric, it feels like you're putting a lot of respect on Mike's team. Are you a believer in someone with like the third lowest points for in the the league, or you think he's just getting hot at the right time? Uh, I think I'm a believer in having Joe Burrow and Derrick Henry at the top of that roster at the right time of year. Yeah, I think there is something to be said in fantasy for at the end of the season. You don't just want good players; you want good players on teams that are fighting for playoff spots. Agreed, because those tend to turn out monster performances. And so I think that his team sets up well for that. I still think we are waiting for another Gabe Davis, like 40 point performance that we could be like, wow, Mike just won a semifinal game with a, you know, 45 point Gabe Davis performance or something. And then we're talking about it. So. God. Yeah, I, I agree with that. It seems like he, everyone's kind of waiting for that game, but just watching that Bills game, is Gabe Davis hurt? He seems to drop a lot of easy passes. <laughs> he did have an ankle injury at the beginning of the year, but he had that giant week after he was declared healthy. So I don't know if that's the problem. Um, I just don't, he doesn't look comfortable catching the football. Yeah. Yeah. It's something doesn't seem quite like, right there. His hands always feel like they're in like weird positions for catching it. And I, I don't know. Yeah. He's just like not a natural like catcher like Diggs is, for example. Um, yeah. Also, I don't know if a team that's oozing confidence would ever start Graham Gano over Justin Tucker. I know we're getting in the weeds with kickers here, but I thought that was a not yeah, a, not a confident start. And also, why are you rostering two kickers? Yes, thank you. This is that should be a punishable offense. He's also had the benefit of Chase being hurt with the Higgins connection for a little bit here too. Mm. Yep, it's really helped him down the stretch. Mm-hmm. Also, I had a pretty good uh, tight end pickup there. Juwan Johnson's been sneaky good. Yeah, yeah he has. Tight end eight on the year. I I guess I haven't been paying attention, to be honest. I didn't even know who the Saints tight end was until today when I looked at it, and I was like, whoa, who's this guy? Better than Jason yep. Hill. Five touchdowns in five weeks. Yeah. Yep. Really? Yeah. Wow. And three, three or one in each of the last three games. It's been a weird season in New Orleans, too. Like, I don't really understand what's going on with that team. Yeah, no, it's totally bizarre. All right. Moving up the standings. This is, I think, where it gets the most interesting is with the seven and four teams. Tony and Mike tied at seven and four in the fourth and fifth spots in the playoffs. Tony with remaining games against Brandon and Justin. Got to run the Murray gauntlet. Close the season, and Mike with games against Dion and James. Um, both of these teams at seven and four could miss playoffs completely, not even hit a tiebreaker if they were to go zero and two, and Sherry and Justin were both to go two and zero. Also, both of these teams, if they were to go two and zero, and some of the teams ahead of them were to lose a couple of games, could very easily end up in at least a tiebreaker for a bye week possibly a number one seed. This is uh, like the world is the, is your oyster here. Wait a second. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. If we both go 0 and 2, we have seven wins. Not if you both go 0 and 2. If you, if one of you goes 0 and 2, if, or either of you goes 0 and 2, you could miss the playoffs. Completely. Oh, I got you. And the other one wins. I got you. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. 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 Wow. That's, that's interesting. I hadn't considered that. Nervous? <laughs> Consider it now. 
should always be nervous if you haven't clinched playoffs in fantasy football because anything can happen. Sounds like an emotional hedge. Yep. Coward. <laughs> <laughs> Can't win with you guys, eh? No. <laughs> Not after last year. <laughs> Brendan's been um, – the language he uses to describe his season is um, fascinating to me. Talking about, like – how he's locked for playoffs. He's cruising to the playoffs. He's already talking about who he's going to pick when he gets his bye and who's going to pick in the semis. I mean, this is like, you're just asking for disappointment when you start saying shit like that. That's all I'll say. I'm just, um, just putting it out there right now. Chickens will come home to roost on Brendan Linsing's team. What's your expectation? Put a prediction out there. How, how far does he go in playoffs? First round exit. Oof. First round exit. Wow. And that implies he does not get a buy. Right. Mm-hmm. Which More is very possible. Requires three teams. Three teams at eight and three. Only two of them can get buys. Um, yeah, that is an onion hanger. Thank you. Thank you. Absolutely will not be held responsible if I'm wrong. Uh, we don't wager a bet <laughs> on it, but uh, yeah. It's like classic. Uh, that's how you do sports media in this day and age, right? You just like throw out a couple of like, bold predictions and then one one hits and then you get a bunch of pop on twitter when everyone retweets and then mm. suddenly you're an expert right yeah sadly not wrong about that yeah the mark sessler <laughs> put out as many predictions on all sides as you possibly can the bolder the better exactly. i love mark sessler but it is 100 percent how he's made his name okay. in that respect but I will take this to my grave. He won the Philly special bet, and mm-hmm. it's not close. And they, I'm surprised. I thought you would just like hate Philadelphia because they won a Super Bowl and you didn't, and that you would not be okay with that. No, no, no. I'm, I'm a. And you'd be like, oh, it's Dwight Clark and the catch forever. No, no, no. I'm a, I'm a scholar of the game. Okay, I appreciate football. I scholar it. of the game. Can we <laughs> says <cut that>? who? <laughs> and he. Absolutely nailed the Philly special bet, and yeah, Dan, I, I do agree with that. Yeah, what was it? Uh, they they argue that the helmet catch was bigger, right? Mm-hmm. Or whatever. Yeah. No. So I for mean, anybody who doesn't listen to that podcast, Mark Sessler made a bet going into uh, the Eagles Patriots Super Bowl that at some point during the game there would be a play that would be remembered as like the most iconic play in Super Bowl history and have its own name. I believe was part of it. Yeah, yeah. I think so. I think some of the arguments uh, against it was like, well, it happened in the second quarter was the helmet catch was on the final drive or the winning drive. And it's like, yeah, that play changed the game. Like they were only up by three points at that point. Right. And like to, to go for it on fourth and goal and then to run that play. They, especially a after statue. Did they, they not built build a, statue a statue for, yeah, they built a statue for two guys that are no longer in the organization. Yeah. It's incredible. <laughs> Yeah. Anyway, that's just a little aside. I've always thought that. And I always thought that um, Dan and Greg are totally unfair. And I think they're just so dug their heels in at this point that they'll never admit that he's right. But completely, completely agree. Completely yeah. agree. But um, anyway, yeah, I, I can't remember what we were talking about. Oh, yeah. My bold prediction. Yeah. Just be careful, Brendan. Watch your back. I like the record to show that you have now moved off of Kyle hate in favor of Brendan hate because you're now basically predicting Kyle gets a buy in order to have Brendan. No, no, no. Not. Kevin and I are getting buys. Why do you laugh? Okay. 
I'm getting to nine wins, baby. You're playing a major cornered animal this weekend. <laughs> I thought he was in the ICU. <laughs> that doesn't mean he isn't that fight. He came on the podcast. He's in the corner of the ICU. <laughs> also, Tuesday, injury reports haven't come out yet for the rest of the week. <laughs> Dustin Fields could be done. Done for the year. That's what they're saying. Yeah, what was that? what was that weird? That was very cryptic by um, Eberflus. He said he's day to day, but wouldn't be surprised if he's done for the year or something. I'm like, well, that's not day to day. Then that's quite serious. Don't you think coaches just have like competitions with each other to like think up little vague terms that like that like that's that one I thought was actually kind of funny because it's like it's not wrong, but he's not straight up lying. I'm sure there's someone who's like, oh, that was a pretty good one. He's like texting him. In the coaches chat like a oh, nice one matt yeah no you might be right belichick's the uh, leader in that group chat for sure yeah he always texts the wrong guy <laughs> <laughs> you guys remember when uh dave damashek at the super bowl uh got up on the podium and asked bill belichick if he thought this was a must-win game and he asked Brandon Browner, and Brandon Browner got mad, like viscerally <laughs> angry at him for asking that question. Um, I can't remember. What, did you ask me a question? Am I nervous? I mean, yeah. the field's injury? Yeah. No, it actually does worry me. It has to, right? Mm-hmm. Um, Especially considering who's your backup quarterback. No one. Ah, looks like Brandon won't be outbidding you, though. <laughs> <laughs> Have you heard that, Brandon? Brandon's uh, stance on the fab. I haven't. No, I was wondering where the F... I thought the FTX name was funny just because that whole story is a disaster, but I didn't understand what that had to do with fab. Uh, I mean, I don't mean to entirely misrepresent it, but he essentially doesn't see a ton of value in it, uh, especially for like the end of the season, which in, when I think it has the most value. He already has zero. He's done to yeah. zero. He's out. I believe he said that... He has never been in a situation where he wanted to buy a player and couldn't buy a player. And so he might as well just blow all his fab early in the season because whatever, it doesn't matter anyway. And it's wrong. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> It's an incorrect take. I mean, if he ever made playoffs, he'd probably understand that it's important to have fab at the end of the year. But Yeah, I don't have an opinion on it because I'm also a fab. But I've been scraping the bottom of the barrel just to get... I think I bid on Mike Boone and... And spent like a festival of dollars on that guy. So, but I'm you the see, wrong, I'm the wrong guy to ask. But, but no, no but, but you should. You, yeah, the bottom teams. Yes, you should be spending your money. Absolutely, you need to get wins everywhere. When you're sitting at like six and two and seven and three, like why you spend? Why are you dropping thirty five dollars on like Carson Wentz or whatever he bid on? It makes no sense. Okay, I, I, so you're saying like if you're if you're got a if you're at the top of the standings and you're pretty secure with your team, you don't need to be taking flyers on like Romeo Dobbs just in case. You'd you can, save that. You yeah. can do it. Just don't do it for forty. And like, I, right. like, it doesn't matter because you need it later in the season. Like when I don't know Justin Fields gets hurt and whoever the fucking backup is. I'm a fan of the team and I forget who it is. Simeon. And like yeah, like you get to pick up the defense that plays them and you can bid your fourteen dollars or whatever. I don't know. Like to me, that it just makes sense. But mm-hmm. or or if like Patterson went down and like Algier was out there and he was like the no question number one ad, mm-hmm. you could bid like yeah. eighty on him. It's like intentionally not wanting flexibility, anyways. Right. Okay. Yeah. Uh, you 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 can you've convinced me. It wasn't a hard sell. I think the other part of it is just the anytime. Like I think it's clear that anytime you put money up on a fab, 
and the next highest bid is like 30 less than you, that you fucked up. Yeah. Yes, 100%. There should be right. a penalty for that. <laughs> and like, you know, of course, when you're going into the bid, you have to have the mindset of, this is how much I'd be willing to spend where I would be annoyed I didn't spend this much if somebody else got them from me. Mm. So like you justify it to yourself when you're putting the bid in, but you still have to like think about what is likely to happen in the league before you put just like $35 on Taysom Hill. Mm-hmm. And if you're doing that, and then at the end of the season, you don't get to pick up the best defense because you don't have any money, like it should bite you because you're managing your team wrong. I totally agree. I put 20 on Rodgers last week and no one else put anything in there and i felt like a dumbass because i could have zero (laughs) not a good feeling (laughs) what's 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 worse like being the only guy to bid and bidding like a a ridiculous amount or missing out on a guy you really wanted by like two or three fab that's essentially my whole point is like the reason i was able to bid 20 was because i had like 75 and i was like okay only one other person has like 70 so at worst, I get back to the pack with everyone. I need one quarterback for one week, and I just want to get it done. I want to like have to like, okay, do I want to pick up? I don't know this guy on Tuesday because I wasn't willing to bid four. I'd, yeah, yeah, it's like fuck it. So, anyways, to answer your question, I do think it's worse to lose by like one or two on a player you wanted. Yes, I or, agree. And I, even when it's just like a bye week fill, and it really frustrates me when I'm going for a defense. And I put like $2 and somebody else bids $2 and beats me on a waiver priority or something like that. Mm. And, you know, you're playing them this week and then you got to deal with that defense or something. The defense, ah. the defense ones are always so hard for me. Cause I'm like, I mean, it'll be like a defense with a good matchup. And you're like, okay, but how much am I really going to bid on a defense? Like how much is it worth it? And then I'll bid like three and someone bids nine and gets them. And I'm like, fuck, I should have just bid 10. I actually really needed that defense this week. But I'm like, oh, man, that's why Fab is just the greatest. I love the love the game. And I feel like the 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 weekly or sorry, the daily waivers makes that like Tuesday one. I mean, a little bit more because you can't just like wake up in the morning and then snatch up like a mm-hmm. whatever's left over on free agents. Like, you know. Because sometimes I'm like, oh shit, there's like another like player that I really like, and it's just gonna sit there all day. And I'm like, shit, other people are gonna notice it, and then now I gotta adjust yeah. my bids. And yeah, so it's important to try and get your players on on the Tuesday night. I think. It's yeah, funny. and one thing I one thing I despised in NDFL because we just switched to Fab two years ago, I think. But so if waivers process Wednesday at midnight, or yeah, Wednesday at twelve o'clock, I guess, um, people would stay up and this is when we were a little bit younger and didn't have like jobs and families to pay attention to, but people would stay up till midnight until waivers ran. And then whoever was left on free agency, they just pick them up and not have to burn their waiver. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, we used to do that too. I can distinctly recall picking people up at two o'clock. In the morning I hated and it. Talking to Tony about it. Yeah. I got a text message from Tyler Clark one time at three o'clock in the morning on Tuesday that just said, you fucking cocksucker. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I I am really digging the daily waivers. I think it just takes the um, daily like pressure off um, and just gives everyone a fair shake. I, I think it's great. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, it does. But also I think that it adds the pressure that you talked about of like, mm-hmm. if you like the couple of weeks ago when I was playing Kyle and we were all picking up quarterbacks and Kyle didn't have one to play, he he checked his phone on Thursday and ended up having to spend six fab on Zach Wilson on Friday morning. Like mm-hmm. that wouldn't happen in the old situation because he would just go and be like, oh, this one, pick him up. Totally. So it's fun. It adds like we're all 
paying attention every day of the week. You're looking at what was added, what was dropped, seeing if you want to pick up one of the players that was dropped. That, that's, that's the o- that's the other thing that I've been impressed with just as the league, um, that every day there are like multiple waiver claims. I was worried that maybe people would be like, uh, whatever, like after Tuesday, no one would bother really to put effort into the claims. But like there are these like little like, waiver duels i feel like throughout the week and i just i love waking up in the morning seeing what happened um seeing who people were interested in because sometimes you go through the the list right and you're like there's no one here i want to pick up and then i wake up in the morning there's like eight waiver claims i'm like who are people picking up but then it's like oh no it kind of makes sense it's like backups or like you know a defensive matchup i just love it love the activity yeah it is like it's like waking up and opening presents when you get to like see who who got claimed like who bid on who i i do yeah. enjoy that like you kianta in- ingram for ten dollars oh and there's a two dollar bid like oh people like kianta ingram interesting <laughs> i already put my hand up for rogers man <laughs> hey i i if i had fab i might have spent it i love that it tells you what other people bid too because it gives you the like when you're playing poker and somebody doesn't muck their hand and you get to know what they were doing yeah Hundred percent. Learn a little bit about what people like, and then when you're trying to make trades later, you can target those people and whatnot. Christian Watson this week. I I, I had no fab as as we've covered, but I was like, oh, we'll see. Maybe maybe people just aren't interested, and maybe no one's gonna want him. <laughs> yeah. So I was like, I'll, I'll toss him a claim. You who knows what could happen. And I was fourth on the priority list for Christian Watson. Yeah, I think Kenny laid down like forty something, which 30, I think is thirty six. Thirty six, yeah, which I think is totally fair. Uh, well, like you said, when you're, at, two more when you're at the bottom, when you're at the bottom, you just spent that. Yeah, time. yeah, hundred percent. I mean, or a few weeks ago when I thought no one would actually care about Kadarius Tony because he hasn't been good in his career yet, and then there was like seven people that bid, and I think there was like fifty bucks on him or something. I think I I, I looked at how much fab I had left, and I just copy pasted it into the bid. <laughs> Because I know I, I know I got him and I know I was like, that's too much, but fuck it, I need a receiver. <laughs> it honestly wasn't even that much too much when you look at the rest of the market and what was out there in terms of bids. So Yeah. And then of course, like, oh, I'm gonna start Kadarius Tony this week. It's gonna be fun. Like, how how could he he never really made a go of it in New York? That's weird. And then you saw him like drop his only target and go out of the game with an injury. It's like, ah yes, right. That's why he got traded. He looks good every time he catches the ball. Like he's an explosive, dynamic player. He's just I have can't, a theory. can't stay healthy, and apparently he's just a knucklehead too. Like he's a real piece of work. I've heard. I have a theory that he's actually too explosive for his hamstrings. Mm. Like that's the problem, right? Like he's he needs to like dial it down to like eighty five percent. Like his body is not built to handle his athleticism. It's his curse. It's like Steven Strasburg of football. His fastball is too fast. He was tearing UCLs. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. I do like that idea. We should somehow go back and look and see who had the worst bids, like the highest gap between successful bid and next lowest bid. Maybe there's a Richie Brothers tie in there somehow. I'll think of something. Sponsored by Richie Brothers. <laughs> a little plaque or something at the end of the year. <laughs> You get to go to Stewart Island. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, like, uh, okay, it's 19 days ago, so that's three weeks ago, roughly. And DeAndre Carter, uh, Shar bid $3, and James bid 30 oh. And, like, I don't think that was a bad call by James because I think that was when Mike Williams was out and Keenan Allen was obviously out. 
But it's just like you see that just like, oh, I could have done that for four, eh? Okay. I would also like, and I shouldn't volunteer myself for this because this might be a lot of work, but going back and like filling out a starting lineup of the most expensive waiver pickups of the year for each position and seeing, <laughs> how, many, and seeing how many points they scored. I don't think it would be that good of a team this year. Yeah, you know, it wouldn't have been. This year's been weird for that, right? Usually every year there's like one or two big studs early in the season, I feel like, but this year has been not good. Well, someone can so be the, the proud the proud owner owner of fifty dollar Kadarius Tony, who was the number one hundred and fourteen receiver this year. <laughs> <laughs> but hey, you can't say he wasn't dynamic, scoring seventeen points well on my bench. I think uh, there is always somebody who's a big waiver wire pickup that does well, and I think that often they're late season, and there still mm-hmm. definitely is time for somebody to be like a late season waiver wire pickup, like Rashad Penny last year. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Being a mid to late season pickup, doing really well. No, well, sucks for Brendan then. <laughs> yep. Uh, why? He's got no fab. Oh, I see. I see. I understand. Sorry, I'm slow. He's <laughs> out of the rich Rashad Penny 2.0 sweepstakes. Brendan's going to come back with a vengeance next week. He just spent a good 15 minutes <laughs> hammering <laughs> it. That's what happens when you're not on the pod. Sorry. All right. Let's look at weekly matchups for this week coming up. And oh, then, did you uh, want to talk? Was there any more bracket stuff? I think we. Got sidetracked. No, I guess it's just the eight and three teams fighting for a buy, right? What yeah, and just they they can't miss the tiebreaker week. So worst case scenario, the eight and three teams are getting into the week fourteen tiebreaker. Um, most likely there'll be some tiebreakers for bye weeks and potentially that number one seed that no one wants because you have to pick your opponent in semifinals. Is one of Kyle or I guaranteed for a buy? Not guaranteed for a buy, but one of Kyle or you are guaranteed to make playoffs because you play each other in week 13. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. And nine wins. Nine wins, 100% guarantees playoffs. Right, 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 right. I was wondering, I guess it would have to be like a giant, like seven-way tie per second, but I would love just to have the idea that someone could either get a buy in second place or miss playoffs depending on the tiebreaker that would be that cool. is spicy and uh, and yes. to like can you imagine sitting down in week 14 to watch your team get outscored by six other teams to miss playoffs <laughs> oh, yeah no that'd be the worst <laughs> you gotta be thinking like okay all i gotta do is like not be the lowest scoring team how hard could it be and then you just watch it unravel in front of you oh man yeah that'd be tough that'd be tough so yeah actually this is something that's interesting in this scenario there's another scenario so yes that could absolutely happen you could have a six-way tie of sherry justin mike tony brendan brendan and then one of kevin and kyle as a tie between from second to seventh Mm. with the last place team in that tiebreaker missing playoffs the first place getting a bye week but also in order for that to happen going into that week Kevin and Kyle would be playing in week 13, knowing that one of the two of them, if they win, will get a bye. And they would be in a scenario where they could tie on purpose and both get bye weeks. Interesting. So basically a situation where if Kyle, and this could happen otherwise, if Kyle beats Justin this week and Kevin beats Sherryar this week, it doesn't matter what happens in the other games. If those two things happen, Kevin and Kyle are in a situation where they could intentionally tie get bye weeks. A gentleman's agreement just to take a dive, tie zero zero, and go into yes. So that would be obvious Oof. collusion. What's do we have a rule against collusion in this league? Like, I've never seen that. Uh, 
Like, What's the definition of collusion? I would say sitting all your players to tie zero zero to get two buys is like top of the list of the definition. I think it benefits both teams, and how can you argue against it? It's good. Game Isn't game. that like the definition of collusion that it benefits both people? I think you guys are drastically overlooking the fact that I haven't had the privilege to play Kyle yet this year, and I would like my win. So <laughs> it's, it's not even a conversation. And hey, I'm not even hey worried eight about people it. have tried and failed. Yeah, and eight fucking losers are behind me too. So, <laughs> yeah, no, Kevin wouldn't do that. Or you, or you could do a gentleman's agreement, and then at, t- at nine nine fifty nine, you could shiv him and put your kicker in yeah (laughs) or pick up a wide receiver on the monday night game or something um yeah unless it's rondale moore yeah (laughs) Um, minus six yards and hurts his hamstring oops can you imagine losing to zero to minus (laughs) 1.6 well there's no anthony you said i wouldn't do that and you're right but eric there was like one other part to that story that made me really consider it didn't there like a butterfly effect that would completely fuck anthony over well, no, just I think we've seen it in this podcast. As soon as it was brought up, Anthony's head exploded, which is the benefit of doing that, which is that mm-hmm. it like causes a lot of chaos and drama and whatnot. Right. So, dang it. I thought there was like a tangible benefit. I mean, it, would, it would bury Anthony's ability to get a bye week because you right. would be nine and a tie, which he, mm. can't, he can't possibly get to. Ah, you hear that, Anthony? You couldn't possibly get to it. So, what are the forkable matchups this week? Oh, that's a great question. Okay, so as we've discussed, Harsh plays James. The loser of that is definitely out of the playoffs, 100%. The dreaded eight losses. I got to be totally honest. I feel like everyone with seven wins doesn't really have a chance. Seven losses. Seven losses, sorry. Seven losses, yeah. So Harsh, James, Kenny, Eric, and myself, I feel like we're all, like, so much needs to go right. And it's like, it's the it's the Vancouver Canucks theory where it's like, hey, we're only two points out of the playoffs. Like, yeah, but you have to jump four other teams. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I think for the sake of, of argument, you have to assume that seven losses will not get it, get you in. I think that's... Yeah. yeah. I mean, like, with the, with the week 14 wrinkle where it's a tiebreaker, like, maybe that gives you a bit more hope, but I just have a hard time seeing a sub 500 team getting into even the seven spot. Yeah. I think the week 14 tiebreaker definitely gives you more hope because usually at this point we have a couple of things where it's like, Oh, this team could make it a tie, but they lost to that team in week six. So therefore there's no hope or whatever. So everybody, as long as you can get into that tie for sixth has a chance, which is better this year, but I agree with you. I just think like from a bracketology standpoint, the teams that are four and seven making playoffs are the most interesting scenarios. So I love talking mm-hmm. about true. For sure. For sure. That would mean that Dion and Mike is a potential forking if Mike can win, if we're assuming Dion needs to win out. Uh, yeah. So if Dion loses this week and if Tyler loses this week, they would both need one of Sherry R and Justin to lose actually both of share justin to lose to stay alive mm-hmm. so yeah those are matchups to watch that kyle justin matchup is huge for so many reasons yeah it is um and the kevin share matchup is huge two eight and three versus six and five matchups could be a major swing in the standings yeah huge ripple effects at at both ends of the of the mm-hmm. playoffs right for the buy and for like the tiebreaker for yeah that's that's huge Yep, and the uh, Mike Dion matchup. That's one. If Mike drops this week, 
this could be the one he's looking at as like, this is why he misses playoffs if he ends up missing playoffs. Oof, love that. That would sting. Love that. Maybe you don't know the answer to this, but what is the lowest pos- possible finish for Kyle's team as it stands right now? That 14 <laughs> by? That 14 uh, tiebreaker? Yeah, the week 14 tiebreaker would be the worst finish for Kyle. Okay. <laughs> that would require Kyle to lose all his games and Justin Scherer to both win out in order for Kyle to end up in that. Yeah. Course. Well, if Kyle loses both his games and Justin's halfway there, cause he plays Kyle this week. That's true. Mm. That's true. And then mm. Justin would just have to beat Tony in week 13, which would also have the ripple effect of probably kicking Tony into that tiebreaker too. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's mm-hmm. a tough two games for Justin to, to, uh, to close out the year. Sure is. Is there, yeah, I guess we'll know at the end of next week, obviously, the scenario for the most number of people in a tiebreaker, whether that be for a bye or for to make playoffs. Yeah, I think in either case, the most number of people to make tiebreakers, six people in a single tiebreaker. Um, there's a few ways that that could happen, but that's the most. I think mm-hmm. it's pretty unlikely, but I'd right. love to see it. That'd be fun. Damn. Well, thanks, Eric. Well done with all that. How did how do you do that? Do you just like work it out? Do you map it out with a program or how's that go? Uh, nope. I just look at the standings and then the schedule. And I don't know. I, I mostly I looked at the uh, really terrible bracketology that Brendan put up and then just poked holes in it until I found <laughs> the correct answer. Fair enough. All right. Well, uh, this has been episode 29 of the SSL podcast. Thanks for coming, Brandon. It was great to have you. Oh, thanks for having me, guys. Always a pleasure. Uh, we'll see you all next week. I'm a scholar of the game.